This is Space Cats Peace Turtles, the unofficial podcast for Fantasy Flight's Twilight Imperium. Episode 222. Soul and Sardak, preliminary, whatever, whatever it is. Music by Ben Prunty, featuring Matt Martins and Hunter Donaldson. I'm excited to see Molly again. You know, we we me and Molly haven't had uh, time uh, yeah. in a while. You know, and around the holidays, I'm gonna be at home. I'm, or I'm whatever. nervous about it, man. Your y'all's beef goes deep, and it's just hard to when you get in the same room together. Like just the tension, it's just like really uncomfortable. You know. Yeah. Well, you know, she knows what she did. Um, <laughs> she, you know, because I, before she was born, I was the the golden boy. You uh-huh, know, uh-huh. and everybody always gave me attention and gave me what I wanted and what I needed. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah, you'd bounce me up and down on your <laughs> on your knee, you know, <laughs> you know what you'd do. And uh, and I always got food anytime I wanted. But then Molly was born, and all of a sudden she stole, you know, a lot of the attention. You know, <laughs> people used to ask for pictures of me all uh-huh. the time. You all know, the time. they'd be like, you know that you know that, that prank we did is still pre- we we have this little calendar, this little frame that's like one month, two months, three months, and it's you put pictures of Molly in it. Mm-hmm. And month eleven is still to this day just a Polaroid of Hunter making a really <laughs> stupid face, and nobody's ever taken it out, and no one ever questions it it's just and there's for one month molly was a 31 year old idiot so yeah have fun. that's me well speaking of being an idiot um i <laughs> oh have i have not appeared on this show uh for the last uh two weeks the last two episodes i did not appear on the show mm. now the first time i did not appear like that two was weeks laziness ago, <laughs> that was just pure laziness that had nothing to do with any of the life stuff uh going on in my life but i got i just got a I just got to put this out there um, just to let you know sure. where I'm at. And where, so so I moved here to Portland uh, and with uh, with with my 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 girlfriend and things did not uh, work out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that is over now. It's <laughs> okay. not funny. It's not, about it's not. It. <laughs> it's not. It actually uh, it, it's it. So here's the, I here's um, the spin on it. Here's the spin on yeah, it that, I, that I'll give you to, to get you out of this. Uh, I guess this is our way of officially. You don't saying, need to get me out of this, by the way. We could just sit in this energy if you want. Oh, good. You yeah, know? that's like, the episode well, everybody wants. Yeah, yeah, that's what everybody wants. Well, uh, I just want the audience to know so they can send me messages, sure, saying how Sweet much things. they. Or if they're my enemies, they can challenge me to a duel to the right. death because now right. I have a lot more free time and I could right. walk around and and fight you. So enemies fight me. Uh, friends love me. Anyways, right. what were this you gonna is, say? This is our official way of announcing that Weird Bear Con 2022 will no longer be taking place in Portland and probably will be somewhere else. Just that's yeah, that's the official announcement. Hey, Weird Bear Con, maybe somewhere like New York City or maybe just in Northwest Arkansas. We'll force you all to come here. Yeah, actually, that's that's kind of the most important thing about me bringing this up on the show. Uh, th- you know, maybe you might feel like it's a little indulgent for me to be sharing such a personal thing. But uh, what I'm trying to say is uh, the my current arc has been that I've returned to Portland. Sure. Uh, after having not lived there for a second. And uh, that arc is already the, uh, fast closing because <laughs> I am going to move away. Uh, yeah. I'm not going to stay in Portland. Uh, I My plan is to move to uh, New York City 
Uh, so New York City people can be excited about mm-hmm. uh, that. And that's uh, Teddy. Teddy and uh, R-Wise. Yeah, all yeah. kinds of folks. Those, those are a my whole new league. There's a whole league. There's yeah. loads of people. And yeah. also our friends, Sean and Shelton, are yes. there. Yes. So um, that is that is my current plan. My my plan is to be there around January or February. Um, and but yeah, so so my Portland uh, Space Cats friends, I'm sorry, but we yep. have we have about a we have less than a month together yes. uh, until until I uh, get out of here. Uh, <laughs> but you know that's just how it is. Sometimes life is life leads in unexpected directions and stuff. For sure. Yeah, you know. Well, let's let's segue from that then into what uh what today's episode is which uh it's this has been a funny week for pre-errata i say week it's been a funny couple days uh since i posted it but we are going to do our preliminary guides for soul and sardak today and as many people noted soul not the most interesting faction so i want to preface all of this as we get into this as like hey if you're uh if you're if you've got a group of new players and you want to point them in the direction of preliminary guides I, this is the one I would start here. I would tell them to start here with the sole preliminary guide uh, because my goal, uh, because, hey, anybody who's even halfway decent at this game, you don't need a sole preliminary guide. You you don't need it. And you know that. <laughs> so I'm very much going to approach the topic of soul as if uh, you are a completely new player um, or like played one game of base game and are now learning how to how to bring in the POK stuff. That's Ooh. that's my take on what we're going to do today with soul, because I think that's the only way to get anything interesting and meaningful out of it. What is this thing about soul that makes people feel like this? You know, <laughs> is it just that they're so straightforward? Yeah, what is I mean, it? their their lore is that they're humans, which actually there's some fun like alternate history stuff in there. Right. There's some fun lore to, to how mm-hmm. our solar system became part of the galactic empire. But he, but outside of that. I mean, like their abilities, which we'll get into, are all of the standard uh, stuff that I feel like humans get in fantasy and sci-fi, which is like you get nothing. You get you're normal. You're yeah. you just kind of you're good at you're a little bit good at everything. So they get more command counters, and their their infantry are pretty good, and that's like sort of it. And like those yeah. are like the crux, the whole thing with soul. And the reason we use them as a great starter faction is to learn to play soul is to learn how to play Twilight Imperium without any of that fancy, funny business that other factions present, right? You just, like, are going to learn how to play vanilla TI. I would say Soul is the closest thing we have to a vanilla TI faction. I think that, okay. I think okay. But (laughs) the the thing that, the thing about Soul that always gets stuck in my gourd whenever people say, like, oh, it's a good starter faction. Yeah. Uh, is that the capacity of the carriers is a little easier to manage, that, that they have yep. higher capacity carriers out the gate. Yep. Uh, and getting used to my carriers carry four things is, I think, uh, an important early game thing to kind of get in your noggin. Right. And right. the fact that Soul sort of says, like, ah, don't, don't worry, worry about, about anything. that. I feel I, like I that's the that's only fair. thing about them that annoys me. I think you can that make that way. argument in a lot of directions. I remember all the time in TI3, people would suggest Sardak Nor as a good starting faction because it's like, hey, Ugh. it's one ability plus that's one a to combat. That's a bad suggestion. But bro. like, there's so many other issues with Sardak Nor's game, which is it's mm-hmm. funny that we're going to talk about Sardak later. But Soul, I mean, I think you can say that about any faction because every single faction subverts some rule so there's some rule you're not going to learn properly with every single faction the point with soul 
is soul you're being given the right training wheels where it's like you don't need to sweat that kind of weirdly complex thing so much because what Mm -hmm. we're assuming is that you're just trying to figure out how the command sheet works and how fleet capacity works and how production capacity like you're you're very much busy trying to learn the mechanics of the game that you can't be bothered with also like learning really intricate things about trade negotiations and like very specific stuff it's like i need yeah. i need like the simple stuff where i'm gonna have a pretty easy game they're a very good faction so someone who's like really good at this game soul is uh our, we, a really good game a really good faction we uh we did the uh announcement for the finals game of the invitational which by the time you're listening to this episode we will have done the finals of the invitational tournament but we we added soul into that uh bracket and there's been there's been pushback like people people hate soul people think soul is genuinely boring because they're good in like a very simple way yeah Um, to me that puts an interesting puzzle onto the players backs that they have to sort of deal with maybe um I see the pushback of like, yeah, but it's not that hard of a puzzle to, or like, you know, like the other soul is resilient is the main thing. And so people they're are all afraid. wrong. I, Matt, don't. They're all wrong. We're sure. right. Always they're wrong with this. They're stuff, wrong. We're but... right. Uh, but let's let's get into it. Let's start breaking down. Uh, Here, wait, wait real quick. Stuff. Before before we get into it, we did forget to say at the beginning, um, if you would like to, this has nothing to do with it. I, we just got to throw this in here real quick. If you're trying to sign up for tournament four happening next year, if you sure, want to sure, play sure, sure, sure. Tw- if you want to be the new TI esports legend, okay? <laughs> if you want to go to the to the championship, the finals and be, you know, forever uh enshrined in a Space Cats Peace Turtles YouTube video that will get more views than the others, okay? <laughs> then you need to be a patron right now. Uh yeah. this month. This month. The month of November is patron month in order to be eligible for the signups that yep. will happen in december right so you'll get a uh, you'll get an email at the email address linked to your patreon patreon account the first week of december that's the plan we will get you yeah. an email we will have a more specific date later but the first week of december is when the invite will go out you respond to that invite within a set amount of time you are in the tournament that's how it works so be a patron right now respond to an email later be in the tournament done three steps and i just want those out here for tournament four so tournament one uh happened whenever that happened however many years ago that was mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh and it felt like you know we were kind of discovering something base game was still people were still figuring it out you know tournament two oh my god it felt like everybody had like really learned this game and we were getting right. deep with it uh tournament three pok's out so got to figure it out you know what i mean yep. that means tournament four is the peak best tournament right of all of them Definitely. That's something that's, it's that's actually going to be the, true. We will know so much about POK by that point. I Tournament 5, who knows what that's supposed to look like? Because I don't know what kind of content we'll be looking at that point. How, it, will we have new stuff? Will we not? I don't know. But tournament tournament four, 5 is when we... Um, add in our is, own rules. <laughs> we start well, making tournament rules. <laughs> yeah. Tournament 5 is when the tournament variant comes out. And Tournament 5 is whenever uh, we play in an arena in... <laughs> We at the Indianapolis Colts arena, right. we, we play where the Colts run. <laughs> so with that out of the way, let's talk. Let's do a training wheel style preliminary guide to the Federation of Soul. And I, I want to say training wheels is not meant in a uh, like 
condescending sense. It's literally like, yeah, I want to make sure you understand how to listen to the rest of these guides, hopefully, because they're a fairly mm -hmm. loose structure. Mm -hmm. we, we've been doing these much looser than our previous guides. So I'm <laughs> just doing a training montage in the background. Yeah. Um, so let's let's first thing we're going to do is we're just going to break down all the components and offer up kind of our commentary on the usability of every single uh, component that Soul has at their disposal. So to start with, Soul's main abilities are Orbital Drop, which is as an action, spend one token from your strategy pool to place two infantry from your reinforcements on one planet you control. This has generally been regarded as a decent enough ability because one token to put one resource worth of infantry anywhere you want isn't the worst thing in the world. However, the value exchange has gotten more and more questionable over time. Um, a token being three influence for a single resource worth of unit, it's hard math. Uh, so it's more like in a pinch kind of a thing. But Orbital Drop is, generally speaking, I would say an okay ability in base game. Um, but POK, we'll talk later about it. It has gotten worse, I, I would say, relatively speaking to everything else. Uh, their other ability is like, the real thing we talk about when we talk about soul, which is versatile, when you gain command tokens during the status phase, gain one additional command token. So there's a tech called hypermetabolism that grants you this ability of one additional command token. They've got it on the house. They could get hypermetabolism and get uh, four tokens per round instead of three, right? Uh, this is not flashy. This isn't cool. <laughs> this is just, you can do more stuff at the table. Uh, you can take more tactical actions per round than anybody else. Or the bigger thing we'll talk about, you can save those command counters and use them for big plays in the late game uh, because you got you got some really cool tools later that we're going to use. Um, they also are one of the few factions that have two separate unique units. Um, a lot of factions don't have any. Some only have one. These guys have two units, which means both of their faction-specific techs are going to both be unit upgrades, so they don't get any other fancy powers. This is it. This is all the power of a Federation of Soul until we get to their here or their uh, their leaders. Uh, but they have Spec Ops One, which also nothing fancy, just one better on combat. That's it. Nothing cool. Uh, Advanced Carrier One is not any better at combat, but six capacity instead of four capacity, like Hunter said earlier. Um, so the upgrades for both of those are in line with the upgrades of both of those units. Uh, Advanced Carrier, you bump it up by two and you move their move up by one. So it's a three cost, nine combat, two move, eight capacity carrier. That's so, so your single Advanced Carrier two is twice as loaded as everybody else's single carriers. Every carrier, and it also has sustained damage. So it literally, their advanced carriers are like having two carriers from someone else using up only a single fleet supply. Again, not flashy, not cool, not interesting, but very, very good across the board. Yeah, I love them. Love a good uh, advanced carrier too. I think it's the upgrade to get. Yeah. Uh, and Spec Ops 2 is, what you're about to read, uh, is uh, effectively Aww. pointless. Yeah. yeah, Spec Ops 2, because you're already fighting on a 7, this bumps it up to a 6, which is the best possible ground combat available from an infantry in the game. Uh, and they also have the gen synthesis ability after this unit is rolled, uh, destroyed, roll one die. Uh, if the result is 5 or greater, place the unit on this card. At the start of your next turn, place each unit that is on this card on a planet you control in your home system. Uh, so the re-roll 
uh, to save your infantry is actually one better than anybody else's infantry. So that's the only like somewhat flashy thing we get out of any of this is they have a greater chance of their infantry surviving. Although none of that matters because you just kind of spawn infantry whenever you feel like it. Uh, you have We're going to get into some agents that are also like make ground combat way easier. So the idea that I need to re-roll infantry and have them go back to my home system is not something I worry about. I have a single planet home system, which is a four resource, two influence home system. Single planet home systems are generally regarded as highly defensible because you only have to think about one planet to defend. So like, it's not something we're worrying about, which means Spec Ops 2 becomes this sort of just like, who cares? I don't I don't need that ability pretty much at all. The only reason you get it is when you get that uh, that secret objective that says that you need to own two faction technologies. And what's handy about Spec, so Spec Ops 2 is you start with half the prerequisites you're going to need for it. So you're like already most of the way there. Uh, let's talk about the Federation, Federation of Souls start. Um, they start with Neural Motivator and Anti-Mass Deflectors. So they start with a blue tech, which gives us a clean path to Gravity Drive. Starting with blue-green means you can research Fighter 2 whenever you want. And both of your faction unit upgrades that are decent are blue-blue and green-green. So you start with half of both. Uh, so, like, literally everything about this faction is just like, yep, it's easy and simple. And everything is right in front of you and should just do exact. Like, you, you can have all of the stuff you need by, like, round three if you really want to. You, you do not need very much. We'll definitely talk about Fighter 2 later uh, more than we will ever talk about Spec Ops 2 again. Their starting units is the good kind. Two carriers, five infantry, one destroyer, three fighters, and a space dock at home. Uh, the five infantry means we can send out our carriers and explore two two-planet uh, systems and leave one at home to help defend. Or it's also sometimes nowadays in POK, we have three-planet systems, and those can be kind of a nuisance for a lot of factions. Not for Federation of Soul. Five infantry means like we can pretty much do any exploration round one that we want to do we're, we're not in any danger yeah it's a it's everything about soul is clean and easy right uh that you have the two best uh starting tech i feel like that you could want in this situation mm -hmm. uh and then yeah your your starting units is just i don't know everything about it it's like do you even need this you know what i mean right you even right. need us to break this down for you you got it you've already <laughs> got it just so let's Just get into this point. Uh, their their promissory note is the last base game thing of theirs. It's military support at the start of the soul player's turn. Remove one token from the soul player's strategy pool and return it to their reinforcements. Then you may place two infantry from your reinforcements on any planet you control, then return this card to the soul player. So the point here being, uh, if soul has no command counters in their strategy pool, you can still use this ability, and it is effectively free for the Federation of Soul. So one of Soul's big goals in the game is to put as few tokens into strategy pool as possible, just enough to do the exact strat uh, secondary actions you need to do within a single round, and then start selling military support like crazy for the entire rest of the round. Sell it to anybody. Sell it to everybody you can. Uh, military support is super good. We'll talk a little bit more about it later, but... Uh, you have great ground forces, and you get ground forces easily, and you get extra rolls and stuff easily, which means you're really not that afraid of other people improving their ground force game if it means you can make decent money off of it, which you can. So the idea being like, if I sell military support to three people in one round and make even just a trade good off of it per time, I make three bucks and three separate people get just two infantry apiece, that's well worth it 
for me uh, because those infantry might not even be used against me. They might be used against other players. Um, so there's really like very little downside to selling military support. Yeah, the difficulty about it, though, is that it's most valuable in uh, realm one. Right. Um, and you might not have adjacency with that many. I mean, to sell it three times would is kind of a lot. Uh, and the trigger uh, is at the start of the sole player's turn. Right. You generally don't want to sell it until you, uh, like you were talking about with the strategy tokens, uh, until after you've uh, spent all of those. In fact, I would say that no one ever sells military support until you have right. gotten rid of all of your strategy tokens. Right. Um, so yeah, it's it, it can be difficult to sell. I don't want to, you know, I, I don't want people thinking like, oh, I got to sell it three times. Matt said to sell it three times. No, you got to get three, yeah. three, uh, three trade goods of value out of it. I, I would say if you even sell it one time in round one, then you're doing great. But you For should sure. always try. Right. One time in round one, try to do more in all the subsequent rounds. But I mean, at the end of the day, it's like not a big deal if you don't. And it's nice if you do. Um, if you can get two dollars for it that's pretty cool i mean people that that's like someone spending a lot but generally the big thing there is that's you learning to look out for times when someone really really needs infantry right if someone looks like they have an enemy on their doorstep and they are nervous about losing a planet soul can slip in there and say listen hey i can get you two more infantry there and that might be enough to call their attack off and that has a higher value than it normally would. And they may be willing to pay $2 for it, even though generally that's not a very good investment. Um, uh, so that's the kind of stuff to look out for when you're doing wheeling and dealing. This is the other training wheels thing with Soul. We have this one thing that's decently tradable that we can start to learn how prices fluctuate throughout the game for different things. Uh, you, you shouldn't usually expect very much for this, but you can sometimes get a little bit more. Uh, also for trading, they have four commodities, which is a great value. You're gonna, you're gonna do well with four commodities. You can generally get at least three trade goods for your four commodities during a game. If you're playing with uh, really strict people, they might offer you two trade goods for your four commodities. And uh, if it's really, really good players, that might be a fair deal. That might be a fair shake. Sometimes four commodity factions only deserve two trade goods. I don't know. And I offer, I just wanted to offer up an alternate because you were saying like, oh, sell it for two trade goods. Uh, it might be harder to create that situation that you're talking about. Yeah. Um, it, so I would say this, if somebody is interested in your commander for any reason, but you don't feel like selling your alliance, right. uh, you're, you're, we haven't talked about the commander yet, but it effectively is useful in the same situation that Matt was, was right. describing. You could always try and talk them down to your military support. That's a move I like to do with right. Soul, right. is to say, oh, you want to have Claire Gibson uh, so for some extra defense uh, on uh, ground combat? Well, how about you just take my military support mm -hmm. and you give me a little bit of money? Right. That's just right. something. And also, too, sometimes it's not money, right? We, we, we generally talk about promissory notes as this like weird, like, how much is it worth? What raw value? But military support can often be thrown in as an extra thing to sway someone into a deal you were otherwise trying to get, right? If you're just trying to pay like a small amount of money for a pretty good promissory note, sometimes you can throw in military support and it actually acts as no cost to you and might end up getting you the good promissory note you really wanted, right? Things like that happen all the time where it's just like, hey, military support, I don't have the extra trade good to give you, but I could give you military support instead. Um, and that is enough to push them over the, the negotiating table. Yeah, just make sure, though, if you ever do that, that you're watching your command yes, tokens. always, so, always don't. Yeah, the, the, the rule will always apply of don't sell that thing until you're out of command tokens. Um, 
and generally yeah uh generally try to do it in the moment that they're going to use it it's the start of my turn right now i can give it to you if you immediately use it and give it back to me that is technically still a non-binding deal but most people are going to hold true to that if you sell it to someone saying use it right now and then they hold on to it yeah that's annoying and stupid but that's also not going to happen that often and whatever you're only out like a single military support you were never going to make like a million dollars off of that anyways uh, let's talk about their their flagship genesis at the end of the status phase place one infantry from your reinforcements in this system space area you're going to forget that a lot <laughs> a, a lot of people will take uh infantry tokens and put them on unrevealed public objectives so that every time you go to flip a public objective you have a reminder of like oh i'm supposed to gain that infantry uh and put it on my put it where my flagship is so that's that's a, a little helpful tip because otherwise you will forget that ability all the time um it is it hits two on a five and it has capacity 12, which is a lot, like way more than anything else in the game. This is a very solid flagship because it can hold a ton of fighters and defend space really well, and then can sometimes be used to send a ton of infantry and, and mechs at uh, big targets that you need to take. Uh, it's, a, it's a very, very good flagship, one that I will build in plenty of games. Although with advanced carriers also being so good, you don't always need it, but sometimes it's nice to have the extra unit, uh, especially if you generally get gravity drive. Uh, it's single movement can still be boosted up to two. Um, I like to sometimes just park Genesis at home with a ton of fighters and let that be like your big defense. But there, there's a there's a dozen different ways to use it. It's not like it's a game changer of a flagship, but it's just such a solid to its core flagship that as long as you put the fighters with it, it's going to do good work. Like it's 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 especially your big way to s score good hits in space combat because a lot of our space combat is going to revolve almost solely around carriers and fighters and there's an argument for destroyers we'll get into that later but mostly carriers and fighters which is meaning we're going to try to overwhelm our opponents with numbers but we don't actually score like a ton of hits off of all of our units but if you throw in a single genesis you still have a ton of soak damage and you've got a unit that's generally scoring one to two hits per combat round which is enough to like carry you through an entire combat um so that's what makes the genesis really good is it's it's use when you need to get some guaranteed hits or semi-guaranteed hits uh should we get into those leaders now yeah do the leaders so pok uh of course brings in all of these leaders agents uh commanders and heroes uh and uh we stick with the idea that soul is super not interesting uh lackluster uh evelyn de Luis <laughs> is our uh, agent not to say any of that is bad it's just not impressively like cool uh, at the start of a ground combat round you may exhaust this card to choose one ground force in the active system that ground force rolls one additional die during this combat round so you get one extra potential scored hit you don't get extra soak damage you don't get an extra full infantry but you might deal more hits um, if you don't upgrade your infantry the fact that you can even use this on ground forces meaning mechs means that your mechs can do extra hits right you can roll your mech twice for two on a six and then like four on a seven with all of your infantry or whatever so evelyn has some cool uses but it's also just a it's just to hold ground combats better uh their commander does a similar thing claire gibson uh first off to unlock her you need to control planets that have a combined total of at least 12 resources you start with four at home so you only need to acquire eight resources worth of planets which isn't the hardest thing in the world although sometimes you can get a bad slice right but as soul i wouldn't say we're like desperately looking for influence rich slices uh slice being uh the planets adjacent to our home system and the one on the pathway to Mechatol Rex, uh, one step away from our home system. That is kind of what we call our home slice. Uh, 
Some factions like desperately need lots and lots of influence so they can buy lots and lots of command counters. Well, we don't have a command counter problem, right? We, we get an extra command counter per round on the house. So we can play with a pretty balanced slice, which means we can make sure we get enough resources to get Claire. And it will very much be worth it to get Claire because Claire's ability is at the start of a ground combat on a planet you control, meaning when you are the defender, you may place one infantry from your reinforcements on that planet. Not only is this just like a good solid ability, because like we said earlier, this is like one extra than Evelyn. Evelyn is just one more potential hit. This is one more potential hit and one more soak damage. Uh, but also because it's a commander, it means our alliance promissory note can be sold to give someone else this ability. And this is a great ability for lots of other people. This is a very, very, very sellable alliance. Uh, it's You're not going to get rich off of it, but a lot of people... Uh, would like extra defenses uh, on on their stuff, generally speaking. Um, all of this amounts to a soul that is not always doing the flashiest stuff at the table, but you also just can't really do anything to them. You can't take their planets easily, so they generally sit in their slice very safely and can occasionally spread their wings into like equidistance or whatever. Um, but they're 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 very good at just like holding their own in any given situation yeah what i don't like about claire is that if you're gonna fight soul on the ground this probably makes no difference like right. it's it's kind of a it, it on a micro scale it's like a win more type of ability where totally. it's like yeah we did not need another infantry that was not actually what was right. gonna lock it down for it's us that, it's that yin problem of like we just keep getting more and more ground forces but when someone goes for a ground combat They've done the math beforehand, right? They know how much stuff they have to bring to make it favorable odds for themselves. So they're either just never going to attack you at all. So Claire Gibson becomes an ability that you never actually use. The presence of it is the use of it, right? It's the, the defense is that people just don't want to attack you because they don't want to deal with Claire Gibson. Mm -hmm. Or when you do use it, it doesn't even matter because like they've brought four mechs and five infantry or so like they've gone crazy ham because they desperately need this planet or whatever right they've planned for how many defenses you're going to have so yeah um that's the complication with it i just wanted to make it clear to people that um a ground combat has to occur in order for claire gibson right. to trigger right so if i bombard uh like so you know a lot of people will say like oh this is pretty good because it helps protect uh, all of your planets, you know what I mean? Like everybody has like an extra one. But if if we're talking about the weekly defended, yep. you know, just kind of other planets in your slice, well then the goal should be to make it so that ground combat doesn't even happen, whether right. that's with, you know, bombardment. Actually, I mean, that's really all that's it would be. That's the main be. thing. A lot of people are going to bring enough bombardment. Yeah, the, the prevailing theory would be with Claire, you need to always guarantee you have at least one infantry on every planet, right? So that Claire can proc. But Hunter's point being, even one infantry is not enough because one infantry is easy to kill in a bombardment. So at that point, you need like three infantry on every planet so that it looks like you have four infantry on every planet and then you're dissuaded from bringing enough bombardment. And then factions like Barony and Muat and stuff don't care anyway. And, and sometimes Sardak are just like, well, whatever, I'll, I will still have enough bombardment probably. Um, yeah. So yeah, at the end of the day, like ground combat isn't flashy and we're not doing anything flashy in combat. We're just looking resilient, right? We just look very, very resilient. That does not make us impervious. <laughs> we still have to worry about our defenses. Um, we'll talk about the mech real fast. The ZS Thunderbolt M2 is uh, a deploy ability, which means uh, you don't necessarily have to just build this. After you use your orbital drop faction ability, you may spend three resources to place one mech on that planet. Um, 
this is not very good. Uh, we, I, I've got a whole bit I'm going to do here in a minute about orbital drop, and this will tie into it. But spending a, a normal mech costs $2. And what this is saying is if you spend one extra dollar, you can get it wherever you want on a thing that was already of questionable value, right? We already didn't like that orbital drop cost us a command counter for two infantry. So now mm -hmm. we're saying, well, you can get two infantry and a mech but you're spending a command counter and a trade good extra, a dollar extra um, for all of that. So it ends up being just like, I mean, if, if 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 TI was like a perfectly balanced game, I would say this all actually works quite well. It's fair and balanced and, and it's not like obviously huge value. It's just like, well, yeah, it's like when you need it strategically, it's tactical. Um, but there's other stuff in this game that is game breaking and this ain't that, right? So it's it's not like it looks impressive even on paper. But what, if you were already doing orbital drop, if you were already you do doing orbital drop, I'm going to make a case for why you would uh, use this deployability because I yeah. think it's few and far between. And we will talk about that uh, right after we talk about this hero. The last thing we've got is our hero, uh, which is Helio Command Array. And it is as an action. So it is a stall, which we care about in the late game generally. Uh, it is also remove each of your command tokens from the game board and return them to your reinforcements. Then purge this card. Um, I recall myself being kind of down on this hero in the early days of Prophecy of Kings because it's like, well, you gotta, you gotta plan, you have to be able to plan around it. Like if if you remove all your tokens but you don't have any more tokens in your tactics, it doesn't the hero doesn't do anything. But the point being, now we have the the building blocks for a late game strategy that we are going to play an entire round focused on right we, our goal is to when we pop the hero we're going to do big impressive stuff with it this is our only bag of tricks we have in the entire game and it's quite a good one um and we will we will that'll be kind of my last point to make about soul when we get into like more analysis stuff with all of this yeah i wanted to just say something earlier you were saying that soul doesn't really care about influence because they have an extra command token i would contend that because of this hero yes. and because of the reliance on cheap units like fighters uh, actually, we are an influence uh, right. uh, faction because if you're going to make the hero really, really punch, yeah. then you need to have a lot of tokens, tokens. in the final yeah. round. The, the the big point I would throw to that is we really, I think we really actually do want to unlock Claire. So we really want those 12 resources. And my argument is because we're making so many cheap units, you can generally spend more than you normally would on command tokens. We do want a lot of influence, but we're also willing to burn more resources than some other factions are on command tokens. The, the idea being, if I had a planet that was a two resource, three influence planet, some factions may be like, nah, I need the money. I gotta use those two resources on plastic. Soul might very easily say, nah, the three influence is worth it because I, I'm, I'm only building fighters this round. I only need $4 for all the plastic I'm gonna build this round. Um, and instead, I'm gonna use that two, three on influence. And I think that is a choice that Soul makes quite often. Yeah, I would just say though that like Claire Gibson is just optional. Like I don't care. It is. They, it's, they, not, it's not. Her, it, it's not. Your you your it, your game plan you is not contingent on Claire Gibson. But I do think Claire Gibson is useful, especially again if we're talking about training wheels and we're talking about that newest player. Uh, I think it is a decent thing to have in your pocket um, to to bolster your defenses. Um, but it's not gonna it's not gonna win your game for you. Okay, let's get into some uh, some synthesis of ideas. So th this is actually going to go quite quickly because, again, Soul is not the mo most complicated faction in the world. But I have some points I want to cover. So first off, we said we'd talk more about Orbital Drop. Is Orbital Drop good anymore? Was it ever good in the first place? So, Hunter, let's do that first. Hunter, in base game, did you like Orbital Drop? It was okay. 
Yeah. Was it? <laughs> No, it's, it wasn't it, fantastic. It's more valuable as a stall than it is as anything else. But the but for a stall, uh, like you get two infantry on top of the stall. That's pretty cool. I right. don't know. Like if I would play a faction that had an ability where it was action, get rid of command counter from strategy. You get <laughs> nothing else. Like I would right. still use that ability occasionally. Right. But just to put it in perspective, I do think that there is a a sort of floor value for orbital drop that it's never ever going to lose right to me yeah yeah so. it's 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 not nothing and in that way it is something right so it's it's you're using it very rarely and now you can add a mech into it for three more bucks my big thing is every once in a while as federation of soul uh, you take something and you barely get enough stuff there or maybe the ground combat actually goes kind of bad like you just get random bad luck and you end up with less infantry there than you really want sometimes you need that on the fly reinforcements right that's when orbital drop does have a use um, mm -hmm. my biggest problem these days with orbital drop is because it's not that impressive and because I would rather sell Mil I would rather try to sell military support um, for some other sort of gain rather than just more infantry I don't necessarily need. I'm usually leaving my strategy pool quite scarce, which means then I actually just never have like the superfluous tokens to do the orbital drop stall. Like I just don't even have access to it these days because I've put only two in strategy so that I can get a tech and I can get a secret objective off Imperial this round, and then that's it. And now I'm selling military support. I don't even get to do orbital drop anymore. That's what happens to me more often than anything else. Um, so to me, <laughs> military support is almost like our new orbital drop. To A better way to put that is, Orbital drop is not even hardly an ability that we have, but military support sort of is an ability that we have. The idea that we can sell infantry to other people. I, I use that more than I use orbital drop. And I'm not using military support all the time, but I'm almost never using orbital drop. The big example being, if I take Mechatol Rex and I really want to hold it all game, my next action might be to orbital drop two infantry and a mech onto Mechatol Rex. That's a situation that can be worth it. You know, given, given all the different circumstances. The fact that I can put units somewhere where I already have a command counter is very useful. Every once in a while, you want to put them somewhere you don't have a command counter so that you can spring this attack on somebody. But I think orbital drop as just a stall is useful every once in a while in the late game. But honestly, I don't want to be burning the command tokens on it because of my hero. I would rather have a ton of tokens in tactics and find other little things to do, little positional things to do with my hero. We'll talk even more about that in a minute. I keep kicking cans down the road, but mm -hmm. I think there are better stalls that we can do than just orbital dropping. What's the other stall that we could do? Well, the idea being the big time we're doing a stall phase we're stalling a bunch is in the final round and in the final round i can stall move a carrier two spaces closer to my eventual objective and then pop my hero and then do something with that carrier right like i would rather move my units into very good positions that are then going to all unlock with my hero than just use an orbital drop i would rather use most of my command tokens for that okay I, I, I meant more just like as a stall, stall as a stall. Like I understand. All I, you need to do is stall, Totally, but basically. what I'm saying is yeah. in your example, like to just burn a command token, you can always just drop command tokens on the board wherever, right, in, in general. And I think there's an idea that 
Soul is always playing a positional game of like getting their carriers in the right spots or whatever, or especially if we get fighter twos, like getting fighter twos in really specific spots. I would almost mm. always rather move two fighter twos over into that asteroid field than drop two more infantry like on a planet that's already not going to be taken by anybody. Does that make sense? It does make sense. I just, I, I feel like maybe you're going a little too hard on orbital drop. I don't think it's, I think it's. I, I don't think it was ever something people were at risk of getting too obsessed about anyways. Right. Um, and so I think it might be properly rated at at just okay. I don't want oh. people to come away from this being like, if you do orbital drop, that means you're bad because no. it's bad. To That's do. definitely not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is my strategy of uh, Federation of Soul revolves more around access to tactical actions than it does access to having tokens in strategy pool. I would rather funnel more tokens into tactics throughout the entire course of the game than leave tokens in strategy for the possibility that I might want to orbital drop. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, so if you're playing that like kind of fighter too early, uh, like kind of focus on gumming stuff, I think I totally understand that. It's just like, you know, if you're playing like a, like a, I took Mechatol Rex and I'm trying to keep it yeah. uh, kind of game, I could, I could, could totally see someone being like oh you know orbital drop is really worth it for me right, right now right. I, and, I, and, and i that. and i agree with that i think the round you take mechatol rex it's perfectly viable to plan for an orbital drop on mechatol rex that round and cool. maybe depending on if people are like trying to slap it often you might do it like once per round but i i beyond that i don't know that i'm using orbital drop very often maybe if i plan to take someone's home system or something and i need to hold it for like the stage two or whatever there, there's there's all sorts of contingencies um the other thing is we didn't talk very much about spec ops 2 um the big idea is that um ground combat in prophecy of kings has gotten interesting in base game having one better die roll than everybody else's infantry was pretty good but the idea of pushing that to two better meant you could really really uh, take control of ground combats quite well. I think Spec Ops 2 was better in base game, but now that everybody has mechs on the board, it is um, more important to have a lot of soak damage and like have mechs and things like that than it is to improve our Spec Ops a little bit. Our mechs, we can build four mechs and have those hit on a six, and our Spec Ops hitting on seven is generally enough to put us over the top of other people within a ground combat sure it's not going to hurt us to have better hitting uh infantry but i think most of the time soul has enough stuff that you're not using spec ops 2 defensively and spec ops 2 is primarily a defensive tech it's not always the most useful tech in an offensive sense it is generally a deterrent for other people attacking your stuff oh they hit harder i don't want to attack that person it's going to be a much harder ground combat and we are already all of those things. We're already defensive. So Spec Ops is very much just win more in all of those respects. Yeah, I mean, it's gone the same way as Infantry 2 has in general. Right. Uh, yeah, nobody gets Infantry 2, so why is Soul even getting Spec Ops 2? It doesn't. It just doesn't really track. Um, mm. So yeah, that that's, that's the gist of it. I was going to talk more about the hero, but we kind of ended up having to cover it and talking about Orbital Drop. But I just think my emphasis with Federation of Soul is more on tokens and tactics and maybe a little bit like kind of bolstering fleet when we can although the goal with soul is to not have to need that much fleet supply because we're just doing uh high capacity carriers with a ton of fighters you know we can get by with three fleet supply all game long because that's a lot of fighters with all of our high capacity ships so i i would rather um 
be constantly putting a ton of tokens into my tactics pool so that whenever I need to do that hero, uh, I have a lot of tokens accessible to then move my stuff again and do more things. The big idea with the hero is it's almost like taking two round fives or two round fours whenever you kind of specifically need it. You can get all your stuff, do things with, you know, take important planets or whatever, then pull all those tokens back and do another thing. You can bust through people's defenses in really intense ways or set up on Mechatol and then go even further than that. Like you can do so much with that hero to take uh, land that might be necessary for objectives or uh, I don't know, set up for a lot of things. There, there's a lot of tactical maneuvering that you can do with it, and I, and I think it makes Soul want to pay attention to their positioning quite a lot in the game, making sure you're defending your stuff, but your planets will somewhat defend themselves. So if you plan for the idea that my carrier might move two spaces away and then two more spaces from there, uh, you can do quite a lot. To, to, to put this in like a tech path plan, you know, we want to get probably gravity drive and then advanced carrier two, and then fighter two, and that might be all the tech we ever get. We might be done with tech at that point. We could also, though, go for fleet logistics and light wave deflector, and now our three movement carrier with all the other two movement carriers move really far through people's stuff, and then in the final round have their tokens lifted and move again. Like, you can take a lot of home systems in the final round if you need to as soul or whatever. I'm not saying you should just go hunting for home systems, but like that's how far behind enemy lines you can get as soul because you get to double attack. Uh, slowly, but you have access to that that nobody else has. Matt, at one point you said you were going to talk about Destroyer 2. Yeah, okay, there's a fun tech path. Let's, let's just throw this out there. If you want to get goofier, there's a goofy fun tech path that uh, Soul can do that I like. I think it's fun, and if you're wanting to not just play the boring blue-green Soul that we've recommended for every single other faction, there is a perfectly viable path in researching AI development algorithm. Uh, you do not if you know you're not going to get the custodians token because of your turn order, you don't necessarily need gravity drive, right? Normally we want gravity drive so that going into round two, we're fast enough to get to Mechatol Rex to take the custodians token. If that's just already off the table, maybe consider getting AI development algorithm round one, because with that red tech being a skip for anything else, you can still get advanced carrier two whenever you want it. You still have the prerequisites for fighter two, so we still have the two main upgrades we need for everything else, and AI development algorithm gives us access immediately to Destroyer 2, and Destroyer 2 is amazing if all we're trying to do, if, if our fleets are reliant on more soak damage than our opponents, Destroyer 2 is a great way to fight against our opponents who are also focusing on fighters. And rather than having six hour long combats between two fighter two factions where you just keep rolling eights and not nines all day, uh, you can throw in a couple of Destroyer 2s into any of your armies and carve through their fighter screen. And now there's like nothing standing in your way. Um, so I actually think if you know you don't want gravity drive, AI dev into those three unit upgrades is also an incredibly good tech path for you to take advantage of and worth it yeah gravity drive is kind of funny on soul because yeah. uh a lot of times you get it because you just want to get the custodians right but then if you end up getting uh advanced carrier two then most of your ships move too right? right i mean unless you go for some like a weird like i have advanced carrier two with like a single dreadnought right that uses the grav drive obviously it's really good for the flagship if that's the direction you end up going right. Right. but it's funny because, yeah, generally I feel like uh, if you get advanced carrier two, like most of your ships are fast and can move yep. to wherever they need to be. One advanced carrier two uh, can go, you know, one advanced carrier two can do so much damage because of how much capacity they have, especially right. if you have fighter two. 
for sure. Yeah, I, I, I think the idea of being worried about a harder space combat game is the main reason to go for AI development algorithm because it's it we cannot understate that Destroyer Two is a is quite a good unit upgrade and um, if you're looking at a Nalu neighbor that might be the path you want to go down because uh, you will you will handle them quite easily with even like two destroyers and a fleet a two destroyers and a fully loaded advanced carrier too is uh, a ridiculous <laughs> fleet like that's very very good um i just want to say something real quick about soul uh because i'm tired of all the hate um soul's cool and yep. if you don't like soul you suck <laughs> <laughs> i like playing as soul but i'm bo like i'm i don't know i like good factions i like playing as good factions because i like to not have to think about um putting up with hard stuff i like to just like have that solved and i can worry about making bad plays and doing stupid things right i just i like making to be able to make mistakes what are you talking about <laughs> making bad plays and doing stupid what what are you talking about matt are, are you, are, so you're so you're talking down okay so you so let, let me get this straight we just got done uh with doing 45 minutes of a preliminary guide with a faction where the whole time you're saying like and it sucks i mean it's like really good but i hate it uh and, and <laughs> everybody agrees they suck and then at the end i'm like you know what i think they're good and you're like you know what i suck i'm the one that sucks i'm the one that's uh, bad and that's why so I, the need, I need the sucks. crutch of soul faction sucks i suck uh everybody just agrees like they suck i suck everybody say yeah yeah uh cages i know that you're fuming right now because i got you cages tough uh but it's yeah tough okay soul's actually cool and fun to play and those of us that do enjoy playing soul as opposed to matt and all the haters <laughs> i do uh, enjoy it but i, I enjoy think we should I'm hold our dick. no you no 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 <laughs> are you serious i just listened to all of that and every, you're like every like like every two minutes you were like Meh, and then it's it's, it's kind of lame or whatever but you know but it's good um i just know all the like, cool kids are out there are gonna make fun of me they were already making fun of me in the pre-errata they're like what is this this episode gonna be five minutes long no i talked for 40 minutes about this faction so leave me alone i think i did a good job i'm gonna spite play soul <laughs> on stream for like months because of this <laughs> like every time I play i'm just gonna be like oh who should i play as well you know we haven't seen a lot of soul you know yeah. we kind of need to see some more soul stuff can we um, talk about the soul that is um more interesting because of all their problems in uh taking a quick break and then you get to talk about sardak nor oh okay yeah uh now it's time we're gonna talk about uh, my favorite boys, my favorite boys in the whole world. We're going to talk about Sardagnor. Um, my favorite faction in the game, I would say still, although it's hard to tell these days, you know, because games changed a lot. Yeah. And, you know, I my problem with Sardagnor is that I've just got this natural talent with them <laughs> and I don't like to win all the time. Um, so I don't get to play them that much because, you know, every time I do, I freaking stomp with them. Just kidding. I, it, you can't, you can't actually be that person with Sardak Nor, um, because, uh, <laughs> no you confidence just have to get lucky. allowed. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can have confidence, but it's, but you're an idiot if you do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you come into a game being like, I'm so good at Sardak Nor that I'm going to just win this game. Uh, there's the, no, no, you've gone all wrong. Let's uh, let's get into it. Where do I want to start? Let's see. Um, let's start with uh, the easiest part. Read me that faction ability, Matt. 
Yeah, so Sardaknor, super simple. We brought it up earlier. They have one, one ability. It's unrelenting. Apply plus one to the result of each of your unit's combat rolls. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So each one of our uh, units hits one better than everybody else. It's like the the way the Jolnar hit one worse than everybody else, but it's that, and it's but in a positive way. <laughs> In and that, way. but the other, the good way that you want, um, Matt, give me, uh, give me that, give me that start. What's that start like, huh? Yeah. So, uh, Sardak Nor start with no technology, zero, none. It just says N O N E right there. So they got nothing. Uh, and then their starting units are two carriers, five infantry, one cruiser, and one PDS at home. Yeah. Um, and what's the what what's our home system like? We got one planet, we got two planets. Two what are, planets. How are we doing? Kinara, enormous and oceanless. Not only the largest planet supporting sentient life, but also one of the least one with the least moisture. Home to the Sardaknor hive cities. It's a three one, and they also have a one zero Trenlac. That's pretty cool. So so we've got two stri- We got a PDS for some reason, yeah. which unrelenting does not help with uh, with any ability rolls as we've covered. But uh, the P- the PDS. Uh, fire is not better. Uh, that's important to note. Um, we've got uh, no starting tech, which is uh, the classic problem with Sardak is that we are we're better at fighting, um, but we do not start with any tech, uh, which is a huge issue. And I will say the being better at combat part is not as cool as having <laughs> tech, huh? I would rather maybe have tech. Um, in order to make the 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 combat thing work you have to like specialize in very specific units in order for that to really matter at all mm-hmm. your fighters are gonna it's gonna be a bigger deal with lots of fighters than it will be uh with your dreadnoughts but paradoxically uh we're gonna talk about their special dreadnought unit um that kind of throws a wrench in even that strategy so everything <laughs> with sardak is a little bit messy a little bit weird but very interesting and i mean very yeah um Give me their uh, give me their promissory note because I want to talk about their promissory yeah. note. Yeah, so Teklar Legion is at the start of ground combat. Apply plus one to the result of each of your unit's combat rolls during this combat. If your opponent is the Nor player, apply minus one to the result of each of their unit's combat rolls during this combat. Then return this card to the Nor player. Yeah, so I love this, uh, and I've been shouting about it on this show for years, and nobody listens to me. <laughs> nobody listens to me. That's just something I've realized with this show, is uh, everyone is just waiting for Matt to get back on the mic. Uh, nobody listens to a single thing I say on this show, because I have been preaching that Teklar Legion is very good, uh, and that you should want to buy it, actually. You should make it easy for the Sardak player to sell it to you, right. because of how, like important this can be in a time especially now we've gotten to a point where ground combat has gotten uh it goes deeper there's more units available uh obviously there's going to be a lot of combats where teclar legion is not going to swing it but even in a tight so like think about it like this you're getting a morale boost every single round right uh, of combat uh and and as sardak you should uh, the the note that we always give with this is that always just sell it in the window that it's going to be used in uh don't sell it just i don't know whenever because it's always going to if that if you do that it's going to get used against you and when it's used against you it's like it's essentially a plus two which is uh which is rough but the fact that it's every round means that even in a tight combat where you only have like 10 percent to win maybe or like 20 percent, maybe would be a better example all you need and this is not mathematical this is this is (laughs) 
this is gambling. I'm thinking <laughs> I'm, I'm at the poker table, basically. Because gambling, notably, never, never mathematical. All you need is one good whiff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Sure. The other side whiffs, and then, uh, and then you get, you know, a chance to really swing it. Um, it's nice. Um, I think that it, uh, that it should be the kind of thing where they should be coming to you, uh, to purchase it. That won't happen. Sardak players out there. Yeah. Um, so you need to remind everybody that it's out there. Anytime you see a, a ground combat, uh, where you could possibly get some, some value out of it, you know, try and seize the opportunity. Um, I would start, I would start the sale at, uh, two trade goods. I think it's worth more than that, but oh, yeah. we live in a world where, uh, nobody cares about this for some well, reason. The hardest part about it, I feel like you could get more than two trade goods super reliably if there was an easier way to sell it to the defending player in the moment they need it to tell someone who's like going on the offensive, like, Hey, you're going to get plus one when they're like, well, I, I tried to already account for this. So I don't know if I need, I'm pushing a, maybe a little bit of luck. Whereas the defensive player is always the one who's like, Oh, I don't know that I saw this coming. I could really use the plus one to like completely turn this around on them. But that's when you like, would be the that would be the time you have to get ahead of it and sell it to them on one of your two turns because you can't sell it to the defending player and that becomes the harder thing to predict if someone's about to be attacked or whatever yeah that's true matt i was just about to say that that with the defending player you kind of have to you have to see it ahead of time and say all right let's get it in your hands that's a time that's a time where it does feel like you can sell it mm -hmm. outside of uh the window that it's used and still get something for it so right. just you really got to look out for the opportunities because other people don't aren't going to like find it. They're not going to say, hey, I need it. Um, so let's uh, let's figure this out. I don't know why people don't do that. But um, give me uh, so let's talk about their faction tech real quick. Yeah, um, I should have uh, back when we were talking. We should have uh, talked about Exo Trireme one because okay. they have a special dreadnought unit for some reason. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, how does that work, Matt? What is that? So there's Dreadnought. It uh, has all the sustained damage and whatnot, everything else. Uh, its combat is on a five still, which is, you know, your unrelenting makes it actually on a four. But it's really all the Exo Trireme one is, uh, is double bombardment. They roll two dice on hitting on a four for their bombardment, which is uh, quite good in the early game. Double bombardment out of a single dread before people have like a bunch of PDS on, on, on lock. That's pretty mm. cool. It is pretty cool. I I like it quite a bit. Um, what is the upgrade? Tell me about Exo Trireme so Exo 2. Exo Trireme 2 go, flies off the handle. Uh, it's got the normal direct hit thing, which is the this unit cannot be destroyed by direct hit action cards. Um, but it also is after a round of space combat, you may destroy this unit to destroy up to two ships in this system. Uh, the rest of it goes unchanged. Who destroys? You do. You point at their stuff and say, pow, pof, poof, pop, ping, pow, ping. Destroy that. Yeah, it's very strange. I would say Exo Trireme 2 is one of the weirdest, just kind of, here's this now yeah. thing uh, that that I've ever seen uh, in the game. Um, very good, though. I mean, insanely good ability. Um, right. Really kicks in in the late game and can, uh, I would say, kind of turn the tables um in if if things work out right to where this makes sense right um i wouldn't say that it is so good that every sardak game you have to get exo trireme 2 um in the past i maybe would have said that in base game i i would have felt that way but now it feels a little more like if we have the right opponents this will cancel them out 
but notably, you I mean, you're having to destroy your ship to destroy their ships. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we got to have kind of a high value target in that order to That destroy is a big deal because it. it's not dealing two hits, right? It's it's a fully destroy. ready to go war sun. You get to point at the war sun and say it's gone now completely. It's bye bye. Mm hmm. That's ridiculous. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Um, it's it's yeah. We'll we'll uh. I don't know if we'll talk. We probably won't talk about it more. Give me that other um. Give me that other faction tech. So uh, Valkyrie particle weave requires two reds, and it is after making combat rolls during a round of ground combat. If your opponent produced one or more hits, you produce one additional hit. Ah, I fell asleep. Um, so. <laughs> Don't, uh, I don't, I don't know what that said, but just ignore that for the rest of your life. Um, and if I get any errata, then, uh, you're wrong. Um, give me the leaders. Let's, uh, oh wait, no, uh, before, before we get into the leaders, cause the leaders are, are big. The leaders are going to change the way we're, the, yeah. they're going to uh, sculpt the discussion going forward. Uh, let's get, let's turn back around. Let's get the flagship. Yeah, your flagship is the Kamorinor, uh, and it is apply plus one to the result of each of your other ship's combat rolls in this system. It sounds oddly familiar to Unrelenting. It is, in fact, a plus two for everything but the Kamorinor itself. Uh, the Kamorinor gets Unrelenting, but it does not get its own plus one, which means it is listed as a uh, two on a six, which for Sardak is it hits two on a five, so it's like all the other good flagships. And then it's baseline stats from there. Sustained damage, eight cost, one move, three capacity. Yeah, it's fine. It's not. Um, it's it's not so necessary that I I maybe have built it in half the game the Sardak games I have played. Mm. Which actually that sounds a little high. So I'm going to lower that to like thirty percent of the time. Right. I end up uh, getting this flagship. Um. With, uh, again, this has the this the exact same logic as Unrelenting itself, where mm. you're going to feel this the most. Uh, with something like fighters, where right. we 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 have fighters now hitting on Seven. you know sevens if right. they're fighter twos sixes yeah wow it's completely nuts right um fighter two is like a uh, obviously a really really good um unit upgrade for Sardak Nor a lot of times I don't end up getting it um we will talk about uh, tech later but we we're we start behind and everything is just whatever yeah. we can get we get basically it's very can simple. i point out just for just for giggles the dumbest yeah, the craziest thing you can do with sardak nor fighters you can get fighter two you can have the kimura nor and then with fighter prototype and a morale boost your fighters hit on threes that's how nuts uh things can get for sardak nor if luck goes your way there's there can be fights with three hit fighters and you can have like six of them or something like you can just yeah you can just chew through people if you can if you, you do fighter prototype and morale boost yeah. or do, do you have to you can have both oh, okay oh okay you can have both mm -hmm. you can play both you can play both hunter you can play both of those yeah both of those cool <laughs> um let's talk about the leaders now okay can you give me that agent yeah our agent is tro hi tro uh it is at the end of a player's tactical action you may exhaust this card. If you do, that player may place two infantry from their reinforcements on a planet they control in the active system. Yeah, this is uh, this is real easy peasy. You just get two extra infantry uh, every round. Um, this is, I mean, th this is as sellable as morale boost is. Yeah. Um, it's, I wouldn't say, especially better or worse. It's kind of the same deal. Um, I tend to use it 
myself in the early game. Um, once we get to the commander, you'll understand exactly why, but there is a reason that getting two extra infantry, you start with five already, um, and still getting two extra uh, pretty much always going to be worth it. So yeah. I would say in the early game, keep this for yourself. Uh, in the mid game, you know, maybe you can sell it, but most of the time, probably not. Maybe to the player that takes Mechatol Rex, you might want to speak up and right. be like, hey, or in general, wanna... there's that mid, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes there's that like round three where like Sardak Nor isn't actually taking any more ground, maybe for whatever reasons. It's just like, oh, you're stuck in your own slice. And, and this, you know, not always, I guess it's just any tactical action though. You don't have to have taken a planet, right? So you can just do this as part of reinforcement. You can just like, on your build that round, you could also drop two infantry there, right? Yes, correct. When, okay. Whenever it's just whenever you activate, that makes yeah. sense. So yeah, just good for bolstering. Period. Okay, cool. I like that. Then uh, you want to do you want to do mama? Yeah. So uh, now we're at the commander. The commander uh, has an unlock, which is going to be very important. Uh, control five planets in non-home systems. Yeah. Uh, we want to unlock this as soon as we can because uh, here's the ability. This is. Uh, Gaham Sekus, uh, which is known in the community as uh, Gamma Mama. Yep. What, she, what does she do? During the commit ground forces step, you can commit up to one ground force from each planet in the active system and each planet in adjacent systems that do not contain one of your command tokens. Yeah, so we just, we're like termites. We just like skip to taking your planets we take the planets from out out from underneath uh your ships um it it's amazing yeah there's some hard limits there we can only commit one per planet always remember that right um you have a, a special relationship with three planet systems uh and that relationship is that uh it's awesome <laughs> uh, for you uh because you that's a three planet system where you can commit one uh yeah. ground force from each one Mechs become very important in, in this way. We may right. we may as well throw out the mech next, even. Sure. Um, because of this. Um, but yeah, uh, another limit that might not be obvious from just reading the card. This is one of those cards where you get really excited reading it. But th as this is actually a kind of finicky ability. Mm -hmm. um, because if there is, you know, let's say we've got a two-planet system and then an empty space and then other planets that we would like to take. Well, it's useless. Yeah, we, we, right. It has to be a land bridge. Everything has to be connected in order for us to keep committing uh, infantry. Right. And you have to, also have to make sure that they are uh, not activated. So uh, as long as all of those uh, boxes are checked, Gamma Mama is, without a doubt, my favorite ability in the game. Right. right. But it is not... Uh, it's, it's honestly not something Sardak needed. <laughs> It's it is an interesting ability. It yeah. solves, I would say, zero of their problems, yeah. and just gives them a weird new thing they can do. Uh, sometimes this is the best ability in the game, and it shines uh, unbelievably. And other times, it just remarkably amounts uh, to nothing. I uh, I feel like a bunch of Sardak Nor's abilities uh, should have been Yin abilities, both thematically and like also to boost them in the way they needed to be boosted. And Sardak Nor <laughs> could have gotten stuff that actually plugged their like could have done stuff that fixed their problems rather than just like how about something crazy? What do you think? Huh? We gonna try this on for size? Like I don't know that Sardak Nor needed that kind of tool set. You know that thing that Jolnar has where they can kill infantry to make tech right. uh, less expensive? 
I would have liked something like that for Sardagnor, yeah, yeah. um, for their agent or something. Um, but at the same time, the agent does neatly, uh, you know, go into this, which is like the Sardak. People talk about the idea of doing shipless Sardak, where you uh -huh. just don't build any ships at all and you just use Gama Mama. Your slice has to be set up so specifically in right. order for that to be viable. Uh, but it's really it's it's a fun way to play. It's right. I wouldn't say it's viable, but, <laughs> but it is. Goofy. It may it uh, you. It's not so bad that I wouldn't expect to see someone win a game mm -hmm. uh, with that. Like I, I fully expect someone would send me like an image of them winning um, with that setup. Yeah, I want I want to yeah. do one thing too for just for newer listeners, newer players. Um, it, I, I to clarify this ability. Um, because it is just during the commit ground forces step and not like, I don't know, it's in, in worded in some other weird way. The point here being, and the reason Hunter just said, like, you can do shipless Sardak is that includes like, it, it's not like you have to have sent a carrier with infantry and then you can send Gamma Mama infantry in addition to that. No, Your whole yeah. tactical action can be activating a system, moving zero ships in and then moving like six bugs onto the planet or whatever right like that that can right. be the whole thing and that's the shipless sardak i mean you can do that even without like specifically playing shipless sardak but you can like if you park next to someone's home system and they are defending the sky more than the planet they're doomed like they're they're in deep trouble because gamma mama can, doesn't even have to send anything above you just go straight for the ground combat right An another thing that's worth noting about this whole commit ground forces step is that happens uh, regardless of whether you control the planet already or not. When right. you don't control the planet, obviously that step is going to happen because that's how you're you're activating it because you're trying to take it. But it's not but inherently even if a part of ground combat is what you're saying, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Even if you're activating a, pl a system that you already control, you can still commit ground forces right. to that system. Some people are saying like, well, of course you can. But sometimes people misunderstand and they think gamma has even more limits than it has. Yeah. You can use gamma to move to a planet you already control. Right. Basically. It, it's a way to go above your capacity in that sense, right? To send stuff home. It's like, yes. well, I send four infantry on my carrier and then three more infantry from all of the planets that are next door to my home. planet. Right. Or whatever. Right. And just to address another, you, uh, this was Matt, you brought this up, but um, the commit ground forces step, only happens for the active player right. it doesn't yeah. happen for the inactive player so when someone attacks you you cannot use gamma to suddenly move infantry uh -huh. to the planet they are attacking yeah uh, because uh, you don't get to do that step boy uh Sardagnor is not a starter faction in <laughs> be okay no not anymore <laughs> no it's i mean they never were they never really, actually but, were yeah yeah um but yeah they definitely are not now um, so give me that mech. What's the yeah. mech? We got a the mech, right? Valkyrie Exoskeleton is two cost, hits on a six, which for us is a five. After this unit uses its sustained damage ability during ground combat, it produces one hit against your opponent's ground forces on this planet. Yeah, I like it. Um, and in fact, uh, there was some faction tech that we read <laughs> I, that had, I sounded similar to this. I forgot yeah. it um, right. because it no longer exists. Uh, because why would you need to research it it with it? But you have this also. Mm -hmm. You get what I'm saying? Like, that's yeah. weird. Um, it's pretty good. Uh, it's not, you know, it's not a game changer, but combine that with uh, with Gamma Mama. And we've got like a pretty solid mech that can commit, that can just jump onto your planet. Yeah. And, you know, whenever it sustains, produces a hit. Pretty cool. 
Very I mean, it's cool. hitting off five as well. Not too yeah. bad. Uh, um, one thing I want to throw out just because uh, is a, uh, because I'm terrified of it if it comes up. Um, if your neighbor is a Mentac, their mechs uh, completely negate this ability because Mentac mechs prevent you from using sustained damage. And this ability is not like when you take a hit. It is distinctly when you use sustained damage, which you can't do against Mentac. So uh, plan accordingly if that comes up. I have I have watched a Sardak be decimated by a Mentac because they didn't pr plan properly uh, for the Mentac max. Yeah. Uh, yeah, also, actually, Mentech is a really good uh, faction, and everyone is <laughs> underestimating them, and it just keeps happening over and over. I don't know why. The fact that there are still people popping in being like, yeah, Mentech, well, they're pretty bad, huh? Yeah. And it's like, yeah, yeah, they are bad, except for all the evidence. Except for all if it the 50% of the time they win. <laughs> yeah, it, they would be horrible if it wasn't for them winning every single time <laughs> I've played against them. Um, if not for all those those wins those pesky wins yeah ugh. it'd be so Anyways, much they'd uh, be so much worse off we're talking uh, about stardak nor today what's the hero man hero teclar conditioning the brood swarm after you move ships into the active system you may skip directly to the commit ground forces step if you do after you commit ground forces to land on planets purge this card and return each of your ships in the active system to your reinforcements yeah um, it's okay. It's, it's, it, I don't know. It, uh, it's the type of ability that I've seen it come up as a wind slay, mm -hmm. um, a lot, actually. I think it actually comes up more as a wind slay a majority of the time than it does anything else. But, um, it's a little finicky. You're describing a situation that's very specific, won't always come up, won't always be useful. Um, and Sardak is on the lower end as yeah. far as, uh, the factions in comparison to each other uh and i would say a faction that has uh problems more things not going for them than going for them did not need a hero that is a winslay hero right um so yeah i it's sometimes uh it's cool because it helps you take mechatol rex for round five or whatever um that is a situation that might mm -hmm. be good mm -hmm. it doesn't even always lock that down for you and one of the most annoying things about it to me is that it makes this, I wish it was kind of like building off Gamma Mama right. instead of being like, oh yeah, remember ships? You got to have some ships for this one. Mm -hmm. um, because the limit here is, well, we got to get enough uh, stuff in our capacity in order to make it into the system right. and then use our hero. Um, so there's some hard limits that make it a little finicky. Um it yeah and 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 the fact that is uh winslay focused has uh always kind of bothered me so overall i would say the hero is uh it's a it's okay it's not horrible but it's uh not great either yeah. um all right we can get into uh kind of just talking about sardak more generally speaking now um i think that the story with sardak is that in base game they were i think a little underrated they were mm -hmm. actually a little better i think than most people thought um they, they had the initial problem of, ah, oh, we don't have any tech. How do we get some tech? Um, but then you would get some, you know, right. you could fix it. Right. Um, but, and then compared to the power of the other factions, uh, they actually could kind of tango. Right. Um, 
They are definitely now with POK better than they were because they got an interesting ability being Gamma Mama, although it isn't something that solves their problems. It is uh, a new way for them to uh, for them to go forward. Um, the other factions in the game, however, all got better in relation to Sardak. So I would say mm. Sardak is actually um, lower to me, ranked lower uh, than they were in base game. Okay, well... Let's let's focus on tech for a second. Let's talk about how do we what what do we do? We don't have any tech. We start with zero. Um, what should we get? Well, welcome to Space Cats, Peace Turtles. Um, let's just get blue tech. Uh, sorry, it never fails. It's always good, man. Yeah. So my suggestion is uh, that you either get det or anti-mass or a blue skip and just go straight to gravity drive mm -hmm. um i will say though that overall uh i like getting det a lot with sardak because you're playing sardak uh you may as well have any and all abilities you can that uh might in a roulette kind of way just get you oh hey i just got this little extra thing i got this little extra thing yeah um that's the kind of game you want to play because you want to play per, like basically coming into the game thinking uh, I'm 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 down. I'm not uh, I'm not up. Right. I'm a. Uh, if I win this game, it's going to be because I got kind of lucky. And det is sort of an embracing of uh, of that luck based win. I feel like I've learned, Hunter, that you you either just really love det or the factions that you love have taught you to love det because you love Empyrean, who like starts with the ability to get these frontier tokens and then mm -hmm. Sardak like this key thing of, Hey, that's like a thing that's going to majorly help your problems and is along your way. But like, I feel like you are the number one advocate for a dark energy tap out of anybody I've ever known. Hmm. I, I mean, I think it's good. Yeah. Uh, I think the frontier deck, uh, has a lot of high value cards in it. Mm. Uh, it, I very frequently find that I will look at what's left in the frontier deck and there's something good in there. Yeah. Um, I think the secret ob objective draw, uh, is amazing right. in the frontier deck and there's well, two. And the tech draw is a bigger deal for Sardak than even a lot of other factions. Yeah. That's for sure. So that's that, yeah, if too. anything, they benefit even more from it. So that's, that's the all money. interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the only thing that's annoying is the ion storm and the, uh, or wait, is it called ion storm? Yep the yeah, alpha yeah. beta yeah uh and then the gamma i don't want that at all right um the thing so the biggest thing to me right now about um playing as sardak if you're interested in these components and you want to try and make this work is the way i kind of approach it is you want to match sardak to a slice that is going to help sardak succeed mm -hmm. and uh the ideal slice would be at least five planets uh, in your slice so that we can unlock Gamma without having to, you know, that we can do it maybe even round one would be really cool. So like right. a three planet home system and then a two planet system right next to us. Oh, yeah. that'd be great. Uh, and then in the equidistance, we would like some high value or alternatively land bridge three planet system next to Mechatol Rex yeah. would also be quite amazing. Right. Um, because round two, we... Like in an ideal Sardak game, we're using Gamma Mama to harass one of our neighbors or to take Mechatol Rex. We'll almost never get to take Mechatol Rex. Yeah. It's almost never going to be that one right. um, because we don't start with any tech. 
uh and i don't know how you make that distance um right maybe maybe warfare and then somehow you also get to go early you're we're almost never getting custodians i guess is what i should say mechatol mm -hmm. rex is a question but custodians probably not a deal um the most common easy way i think to make use of sardax abilities and this is not going to make you win okay i'm not about to describe a winning <laughs> scenario but use gamma in order to uh, take the equidistant uh, value planets from one of your neighbors, say, hey, this is mine. I got here first. I've got Gamma. I can reinforce it, et cetera, et cetera. I don't even need the space, whatever. Fly your ships above. I don't care. Uh, and then possibly even continue harassing that player yeah. in order to either extract some value from them or make a, 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 a buddy with <laughs> air quotes. <laughs> like help me fix my life and yeah. then the the here's here's the most obvious example of this type of relationship i'm sitting next to jolnar i gamma uh before uh <laughs> like jolnar's like oh i've got a pds2 network and we're like well, we don't care yeah <laughs> uh, we we're gamma-ing towards jolnar jolnar agrees to give us research agreement on the cheap you know, whatever whatever Jolnar has to do in order for our tech situation to get fixed yeah. so that we can just kind of have like a normal good game. Right. We would love a game where we get some blue tech and some and uh, some unit upgrades and everything. Like, Exo Trireme 2 is great, and I would love to have it. I would love yeah. to have Scanlink, even, <laughs> as Sardak. Yeah. Because we may as well be drawing as many... We may as well just be... Uh, trying every single thing we can to have the RNG make us the winner yeah. of this game. Right. Um, so yeah, at extorting your neighbor is, uh, I would say, kind of effortless in the early game with Sardak mm -hmm. if you have the right slice. Right. So if you do not have the right slice, if there are not five planets in the home system, if there's not a land bridge, which is a series of... of uh, systems with planets that may, that go to maybe one of your neighbor's home systems yeah. or to Mechatol Rex. Right. Um, I would not play Sardak. <laughs> I just would maybe not. It would be a bad day for that. Yeah. I just think that when, so when Sardak is at their best, they've just barely got a shot. Yeah. When they're at their worst and they don't, maybe they can't unlock Gamma. They are just miserably behind mm -hmm. every other faction. Mm -hmm. um, they don't have enough economic advantages. The, the tech start is very difficult to overcome. Even with all of the new ways to get tech, it's still, yeah. I would say, quite obnoxious yeah. um, to figure out. So my advice would be, you know, pay attention to what you're good at, which is uh, taking planets and taking them a little faster from people. Uh, and and use that to extort a neighbor and then try and find a victory yep. like it's yeah. it's gonna be difficult there are gonna be games start at games where you draw secret objectives you can't score uh the faction tech secret objective oh my <sighs> god so horrible literally in the um, worst position of almost any faction starting with no tech and then the two faction techs you have access to are in opposite directions yeah deep deeply in opposite yeah. directions and XO2 is not is a non-essential tech to me now. Yeah. I don't know if it was in base game. It was maybe even on the line. But I would say XO2 is for a special kind of Sardak game where my neighbor is like Muat or well, something. Oh, yeah. God forbid your neighbor's Muat. I'd right. hate it every right. time that comes up. But um, Gamma reduced the need 
for Super Dreadnought 2. In base game, yeah. Super Dreadnought 2 was maybe your only way out of this problem we're describing, but POK gave you a bunch of roulette wheels to spin and a way to not need Dreadnought 2 with Gamma Mama. So yeah. I, I think those were your solutions, but those are wacky solutions. That's the problem with Sardak, right? We keep talking about like everybody else got better. Sardak got better, but in like these super fun, but crazy ways, whereas everybody else is just like, I make a lot more money all the time and I get tech better. And like Sardak is like, well, I can fly through space with no ships. Ha ha ha. So, uh, yeah, I would say, especially if you haven't played a lot of Sardak, uh, don't get cute about yeah. the tech stuff. I, I know we make fun of ourselves a lot about the blue tech thing. Uh, but in general, this is just not this is not a faction that I think can sustain much experimentation. Or actually, here's the experiments I would say are most fun with Sardak. No tech yeah. <laughs> is an interesting experiment. And no ships. Right. Like, maybe just don't get any tech and yeah. see what happens that way. I, I would love to play a game where I'm saying like, okay, I'm going to put more and more of my focus and energy into just using Gamma to just Classic set advantage. up to just yeah. completely you know gut my neighbor and right. but but we you know we've talked about this before like in relation to arborek gutting a neighbor doesn't actually give you the win right. if the wrong objectives come out right and nobody wants to sit at a table where it's like well um so my neighbor is gonna lose and be sad and um three unit upgrades came out and now jolnar is gonna win yeah and I guess that's the end of the game. And everyone's like, oh, Sardak, can you help Winslay? No, I, I, sorry, I Winslayed my neighbor in round two. And <laughs> I, I now I'm fully, <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of fully committed to just wrecking their life. Oh, and how many points do you have? I'm at three points. Um, yeah. So like maybe, I don't know. I would say that the best outcome is to get in a position where you are, just on the edge of over committing into hurting your neighbor mm -hmm. and then sort of explaining to them hey so i've gotten to this point now let's like i i am playing a sardak yeah help me right. float my boat yeah and then we do we do not need to go into this we do not get in right. need to get into this forever war but just explain that you know like in in the situation i'm in i have to either commit to screwing over a neighbor or get the better end of right. the deal. Some so, of your economy belongs to me because without it, I have nothing to lose because yeah. I've already lost the game. So exactly. I'm just threatening uh, and, you. And I, th that's my favorite attitude to play the game with anyways. I always love playing from the assumption that I am going to lose this game and desperately trying to stay in it. Mm -hmm. um, that's why I've always loved Sardak. It's still, it was true in base game. It's still true today. Um, and it's, it's funny. It's like they, they got more interesting and worse yeah. at the same time. Right. Which right. is kind of the, uh, it's maybe it's the best thing about POK <laughs> is that Sardak got more interesting and also I mean, worse. I wish every faction had just gotten more interesting, but not necessarily better. That would, I mean, I, I like POK, but, but I do think Sardak, the reason you now have so many like die hard Sardak people is because of what happened to them, which is just like, well, they just got cooler though. Didn't they, 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 they yeah. turned their baseball cap around and now it's backwards and they're going to like, <laughs> they're, they're, they're just doing wacky stuff and they just look cool with that leather jacket, man. Yeah. They're smoking cigarettes out by the football <laughs> field. You know what I mean? It's like, they're not supposed to be out there. 
that's 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 what it is um and i just want to say again real quick uh that promissory note teclar whatever yeah. it's called yeah. it's underrated like it's sell it's so good it's so good i've been having and this buy it. if you're listening to this and, and you're in a game with sardak buy it remember yeah. that it exists it, yeah it's it's so it's literally worth it <laughs> yeah it is uh, like the swingiest thing yeah i Anyways. uh i i've been sitting here this whole time thinking more about det and how uh sardak nor is the one faction that freaking loves Mirage, huh? Because at the end of your tactical oh my God, action where you Mirage. do DET, you can put two ground forces and defend Mirage where nobody else can. And you just turned empty space into a land bridge. Like, yeah. that's the coolest thing ever for that one thing that everybody else groans about. Sardak is like, this is, oh, this just made my round. Oh my gosh, how cool. Yeah, so so the one, so the one issue with DET and uh, getting it is that if you listen to my description of, oh, what's a good slice for Sardak? Yeah. <laughs> not really that you interested empty in empty space, space actually. <laughs> but I will say it's very hard to end up in a situation where you have only planets yeah, everywhere. Yeah, that's not going to uh, happen. It's not going to happen. So I would say that even like even if there's only one little yeah. frontier token I can get, I would still probably take DET and get that over taking like anti-mass yeah, or whatever. anti-mass... It continues to be the thing that you only get because you have asteroid fields like literally right in your face right especially that alpha wormhole asteroid field if you have that you, you're you are now required to get anti-mass but nobody else is trying to get anti-mass if they can help it and another thing clean thing about going blue is that carrier two is mm -hmm. i think the better uh like re, uh unit upgrade you could grab right um xo2s are very cool they're kind of like a cool thing to throw in at the late game, though. Right. I don't find them to be like a workhorse in the way that Carrier 2 can just kind of like... You can kind of just have this scrappy fleet of fighters and carriers that are just kind of barely making it happen, but with Gamma, like, it really works. Mm -hmm. And then also always remember, like, Carrier 2 is going to help the hero possibly come into play. Right. Um, and I'll say this, if you don't have Carrier 2 or if you don't even really have... If you go shipless... The hero is not going to come into play right. at all. Which Even is if you kind focus on extra trireme twos, the hero is not going to come into play. You have no yeah, interest in using true. your hero Dude, with your dreadnought fleet. That's, that's the, problem. the worst part of the hero <laughs> in XO2 is that XO2 is like, all right, we got we got bombardment out the wazoo. Yeah. And the hero's like, well, let's just like skip it, I guess, yeah. <laughs> like and destroy those ships. But not in that way. Not yeah. in a way where you also destroy other. They're just gone now. Yeah. 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 I, yeah, I, uh, similar similar to the uh, commander. I think the hero should have been a yin ability. I think uh, thematic. I, I you think, think it's everything should have been a yin ability. I think yin could double up on abilities rob. and still be not a very good faction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, maybe that maybe that would be cool. Yeah, maybe maybe yin and Sardak should just agree to combine into one faction um, <laughs> called Sardak, uh, and we just get rid of yin and we absorb those good abilities from yeah. yin and forget the others. Well, I mean, the the argument I've been making is that soul is the new yin because the commander and the uh, agent are effectively like forms of gaining new infantry. All the mm -hmm. stuff we that you used to think was good about yin is just like, well, soul got that and then also was still good at the game. And yin got more of the of the bad stuff that they had. <laughs> so like yeah. soul is just good yin now. You should be able to indoctrinate the mechs. That's yeah, what it man. is. That's all it yeah. comes down to. Indoctrinate huh? the mechs. Is We've had a lot of tangents here at the end of this episode. What else? We, we got any other gripes about random factions? Nah. Nah, I, don't, I have no more gripes. I uh, 
I, I like it when I like it when we're just going off on tangents too. Because at this point, like with the preliminary guides, like it's it's your basic it's, overview. It's for new people, yeah. you know. That's all I want it to be. Taking temperature. Um, well, I yeah. want to thank all of our weird bears: Big Al Cappuccino, Farganess, Squeamish Emu, Brassbird, Brian, Kalu, and Son of Leto, Istoria, Alice, uh, M. Lashevsky, Sunfax, Absol, Rwise, Fancy Zeeling, and T.G. Welch. And I want to thank our little peace turtles. Patience is a virtue. My son is also named Bort, Anvilir, Sturmy Sturm, Boo Poo, Doberhuawa, Frank G, Gaskio, Goondock, Rekka, Carnal, Naderade, Rolo, Uncle Batty, and Teddy's Jam for you. Wow, the, some of those little peace turtles got some fun. The fun names, names are getting better and better, man. Keep yeah. it up. <laughs> um, well, uh, like we said before, tournament four is uh, that we're in the we're in it. We're in the registration phase, or not mm -hmm. registration, but you you need to be a patron right now if you want to do tournament four. Need to get on it. Um, send us this Imperium life stories to spacecatspeaceturtles at gmail.com. I know we uh, I know we like didn't. Uh, we, we just did a, this Imperium Life episode or yeah, whatever, yeah. Um, but we still want more. Right. We um, want to do, I, I tried to promise it for this week and then I didn't get one ready here. I don't know. While Hunter does the rest of the rundown, I'm going to get, I'm going to get a, uh, a play of the week together. Super duper fast. That's what cool. I'm going to do. Cause I promised yeah, it. Yeah. I promised it last week. That sounds fun. Um, Galactic Council poll is over, but I don't know what it is uh, because we, that's how time works. Uh, <laughs> so we, we will have concluded that. Um, and honestly, I really like, Matt, you were telling me that the Galactic Council is starting to get into some uh, some effective politics. Yeah, it's really various, working. The coalitions uh, are, are crushing it these days. Yeah, yeah. So we, we have a coalition that is uh, making uh, agreements for, like, getting a lore episode through. And, and then next month, uh, they're going to help with uh, getting another episode through. Is, yeah. I don't know. It's very cool. Yeah. Um, Homebrewers Guild, uh, please keep giving me strategy cards. I've been looking at them. It's nuts. It's going to be the strategy card homebrewers <laughs> guild episode is, uh, well, first of all, it's going to be a huge pain in the butt. I'll tell you that much. It seems like it's going to be a giant pain, uh, but it's, it, it is, uh, going to be a completely different game. Uh, I think possibly even more different, uh, than the homebrew factions, uh, was. Yeah. Yeah. All right, All Matt, you got to play of the week. Uh, I'm, we're, we're going in cold on this one, so I, I hope it's not weird. But this one's from Korosoff. Thank you, Korosoff, for your submission. There's enough quotations in it that it feels like it's going to be thematic and good. So even if the story is like halfway decent, uh, I haven't read this yet. So we're just diving in. Ready? Here we go. Korosoff says, I'm playing the Necrovirus, and it's round four. I have secured an informal alliance with my L1Z1X neighbor and managed to snag some juicy texts to remain relevant, such as hypermetabolism, Memoria 2 from the Nomad, my allies Super Dreadnought 2, and Assault Cannon. Boy, if that ain't a Necrotech spread. Oh my gosh. Uh, the last stage one public objective is two texts in two colors. I have two greens already, but I need a second blue or red. I could snag plasma scoring from the L1Z1X, but we exchanged ceasefires, and I'd rather not provoke them, especially since they're focused on taking over the Hakan player's slice on the other side. The Mahawk to my left are in a similar position, swallowing most of the Nomad's territory and leaving me alone since they secured my commander in round two. Their slice is well fortified, but they forgot to leave a mech in their home system. And they have gravity drive! I use Memoria's adjacency to mechs and a flank speed to fling my flagship halfway across the galaxy towards Ixth, bring a couple of Super Dreadnought 2s along, and several mechs and infantry. Assault Cannon thins out Mahawk's defending fleet, and my three capital ships mop up. My ground forces then take Ixth with no casualties. 
Obviously, Whoa. the Mahawk player doesn't look kindly on this surprise attack, and they turn their fleets around using their commander. At first glance, I will be outmatched when they return home in a couple of turns, but I have a cunning plan. First, at the start of the space combat, Assault Cannon will take out a Mahawk ship, letting me gain Crimson Legionnaire 2. I'll copy it by moving my Valifar Assimilar taken off of Memoria 2. This will turn my flagship back into the comparably meek Alastor, but since it's still the start of a space combat, I'll be able to use its ability to lift off my considerable ground forces to fight against Mahat in space, turning the tables around. In fact, my Mordreds will now hit on a four, thanks to Valifor's similar token I have just placed on Mahawk's command sheet. <laughs> It'll be like having additional super dreadnoughts appearing out of nowhere. Best of all, my infantry will now be Crimson Legionnaire 2s, who will respawn in my home system to defend if they die and make me richer while they're at it. The plan is perfect. <laughs> Foolproof. Soon the Mahawks will bend the knee to a technological singularity overriding their primitive gene sorcery. I will take over their empire and become too powerful to stop with any... Hey, can I attack you here? The Lizix player asks me. I'm soliloquizing. How dare you interrupt me? I spend the next five minutes inking a deal where L1 will win a pointless space combat to score a point in exchange for nothing. I don't even ask for them to bring a fighter to destroy it so I can learn Cruiser 2. Okay, whatever. Back to... Guys, I'm using my hero, the extra player says. Dang it! Another five minutes goes by as the extra player meticulously reads each of the five agendas they have drawn while the wait, uh, while we wait with bated breath. In the end, they pick themselves for political censure and necro. I elect you for armed forces standardization. Oh, come on. I'm a wash oh, in wow. command counters and an obvious target, but they really should pick L1 or Mahawk. Both of them are much closer to winning than I am. I grumble and try to change the extra player's mind to no avail. At least I uh, only lose a single cruiser. Now, where was Necro? I activate my home system. We're fighting now. Ah, why can't people let me think? Fine, no more wasting time. Let's roll for space combat right now. No, I don't want to use any cards or special abilities. What do you mean I can't roll more than three during my space combat and get obliterated? Why are my infantry so puny? Where are my max whiffing too? Didn't I have a cunning plan? What happened? <laughs> that is our whiff of the week from Korosoth. Yeah, all of fun. these best laid plans. And when uh, 45 minutes goes by, it's easy to forget all of the plans that you set up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, you gotta, you really gotta wait till your turn, you know? Like, that's why, that's why you should never think when it's other players' turns. You should always just, you should always just be like, oh, am I playing now? And then, you know, you have a long 15 minute turn right. where you just started thinking about it. This is a very, I mean, honestly, this story is a good point for, for that because sometimes you plan out a very convoluted, very complicated uh, turn for yourself and then other things happen. Yeah. Oh, no, Dag Thank you for listening to Space Cat's Peace Turtles, and thanks to Ben Prunty for the use of his music. You can find more at benpruntymusic.com and benprunty.bandcamp.com. Pax Magnifica, Bellum Gloriosum. <laughs>